A shooting outside the White House leads the Secret Service to lead President Trump away from a press briefing. The entire government of Lebanon just resigns out of nowhere. I have a monitor going off. Oops. Come on. All right. Sorry about that here. Russia teases the fact that they may have a coronavirus vaccine approved, and McDonald's CEO may be going up the river for a few other problems that he had with his employees. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Good morning, everybody. Welcome out to Contemporary. My name is Jay Edgar. We have got a, well, it's a slower show than usual today. Oops. Let's get the live chat in somewhere else over here. It's a slower show than usual today, but we still got a bunch to get to today. A bunch of breaking news that was happening just at the point that we were going live last night for the Red Net show. So a little bit of stuff to cover, a little bit of stuff to go through, and a lot of commentary to get to. But before we get started, head on over to freedomscoop.com. Freedomscoop.com is going to be your one-stop shop for all of your news and commentary needs. We have got the generational gap. We have got Stephen Ignoramus, who actually went down to the White House Square to see what was going on with the shooting out there. Well, we were going live with uh, with the Red Net Show, so go and check that out over there. We've also got the Breakdown with Birkenhoff, the R-Rated Conservative, the Freckles of Brit Show, who are coming back from a two-week hiatus. So make sure you go over there and check them out. And did I get everybody? I believe I got everybody. So go over there, check out our swag, pick up some of the stuff, and help us support great creators. All right, before we get into the news here, I just found a tweet that I found interesting that I wanted to share with you guys. So, coming from Andrew Yang, the wonderful person that he is, giving money, or giving people money doesn't foster dependence, it fosters independence. Well, no, that's not it. I know that was the central focus of his campaign, but that's just definitely not the case and hasn't been the case for quite a while, so... Thank you, Andrew Yang, for coming out and putting that out there, but unfortunately, it's not really what happens. All right, let's keep going then. From the Dow Jones, it looks like we had a fairly decent day throughout the day yesterday. 1.3% uh, up, a little bit of a dip in the beginning, but it stayed up above the previous close for the entire day. Some of that may be inflationary, and some of that may be just from the fact that we're seeing positive things come up out of the news. Maybe. We don't know yet, but let's see what the investors have to say off of that. From IBD. Dow Jones futures surged 300 points on Russian coronavirus vaccine news. Tesla rival Neo jumps 11% on earnings from Scott Latonin. Dow Jones futures surged as much as 300 points early Tuesday on coronavirus vaccine news, while S&P 500 futures and NASDAQ futures were sharply mixed after Russian President Vladimir Putin claimed that Russia had developed the first coronavirus vaccine. Neo stock jumped more than 11% on earnings. The tech-heavy NASDAQ fell 0.4%, dropping for a second straight day Monday, while the S&P 500 rallied 0.3%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average outperformed with a 1.3% gain, or 357 points. 
among the Dow Jones stocks, Apple jumped 1.5% on a pair of price target hikes. Meanwhile, Walt Disney and Nike are in new buy zones after recent breakouts. Nike was Monday's IBD stock of the day. Electric auto stocks were in motion on Monday. Nikola surged 22% on Game Changer News, while IBD leaderboard stock Tesla dropped 2.4%. Neo rallied 5.9% and reported strong earnings ahead of stock market open on Tuesday. Neo stock jumped more than 11% in pre-market trade. On Monday, marijuana stock leader Canopy Growth soared nearly 8% on earnings, while Tilray reported weak earnings and sales results after the stock market closed. Tilray stock dove 10% in an extended trade to 7.16 per... Uh, 7.16, I'm sorry. Early Tuesday, Dow Jones futures rose 1% versus fair value, while S&P 500 futures moved up 0.55%. The NASDAQ 100 futures edged higher versus fair value. Remember, overnight action in Dow Jones futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. Early Tuesday, Putin spoke at a government meeting on state television saying, As far as I know, a vaccine against the new coronavirus infection has been registered this morning. For the first time in the world, Putin also said, I know that it works quite effectively. I form strong immunity. And I repeat, has passed all needed checks. According to Reuters, the vaccine has been approved after less than two months of human testing. Late Monday, President Trump was abruptly pulled from a press briefing due to a shooting outside the White House. Trump returned a few minutes later to continue the briefing, saying the shooter had been taken to the hospital and the situation was under control. On Saturday, after Congress failed to hammer out a new stimulus deal, President Trump signed executive orders that would extend extra unemployment benefits and defer payroll taxes. On Monday, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin told CNBC that the White House is open to restarting the coronavirus stimulus talks with Democrats in hope of reaching a compromise. Mnuchin was hopeful that a deal could be reached this week, saying, Again, if we can get a fair deal, we're willing to do, or do it this week. <clears throat> so, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff happening out here in stocks news. Uh, Chinese are China's imposing sanctions on citizens, including Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, the TikTok thing is going strong. So yeah, just a bunch of stuff up on stocks. And Scott Latonin is a real technical writer too, so that's something we need to keep in mind as we go along. He is going to give you the nuts and bolts and the technicalities of everything that's going on to this. So. A lot of stuff going on in stocks, but it looks like it's going on in a positive direction for them. Maybe not your economy, but definitely your stocks are going up. All right, let's go on here to CNBC. Dow futures jumped 280 points after Russia coronavirus vaccine claim. S&P 500 nears all-time high. From Yoon Lee. Futures tied to major U.S. equity averages advanced in early morning trading Tuesday after days of gains on Wall Street pushed the S&P 500 within striking distance of a record high. Dow Jones Industrial Average Futures rose 280 points or 1%. The moves pointed to a gain of about 260 points at the market open. The S&P 500 futures added 0.6%. NASDAQ 100 futures rose 0.1%. The S&P 500 closed Monday just 0.97% from its record set in February. The move higher comes shortly after local news agencies reported Russian President Vladimir Putin claimed the country had given regulatory approval for the world's first COVID-19 vaccine. 
While there was skepticism about whether Russia had developed safe vaccines so quickly, the news triggered optimism from investors about the race for an inoculation and perhaps the market isn't pricing in how quickly a valid one could or could be ready. Shares of stocks that would benefit most from the vaccine jumped in pre-market trading. American Airlines gained 6%. Norwegian Cruise Lines climbed 6% as well. Casino shares rose. Mall owner Simon Property Group was higher. Goldman Sachs over the weekend raised its economic growth outlook, predicting at least one vaccine approved by the end of this year and widespread distribution of the drug by the second quarter of next year. The 30-stock Dow gained about 350 points in regular trading on Monday, posting its seventh positive session in a row. Its longest winning streak since September 2019, the S&P 500 gained 0.2%, sitting just below its record high set February. Meanwhile, the Nasdaq underperformed with 0.4% loss as investors rotated out some of the high flyers. Markets are looking forward to better days ahead. Jeff Buckbinder, equity strategist at LPL Financial, said in a note, Although the timing is uncertain, the stock market is expressing confidence that the pandemic will end eventually with a vaccine or multiple vaccines and help or with help from better treatments in the interim. And there we see the graph that shows that the S&P 500 is, as I said, within striking distance of an all-time high. They're almost there. We could see it in the next trading session, so that'll be good. All right, let's keep going here. We have got a lot of news to get to. From the New York Post, man ran aggressively at Secret Service officer before being shot near the White House. From Kenneth Garger. The man shot near the White House on Monday, briefly halting the president's press, uh, press briefing, ran aggressively towards a Secret Service agent and claimed to have a weapon, authorities said. The shooting of the 51-year-old suspect by a federal officer happened at 5.50 p.m., Right outside the White House at the corner of 17th Street and Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest, the Secret Service said in a statement. The suspect approached the officer and told the officer he had a weapon. The suspect then turned around, ran aggressively towards the officer, and in a drawing motion withdrew an object from his clothing, the federal agency said. The man then crouched into a shooter stance as if about to fire a weapon before the officer opened fire, striking the man in the torso. Both the suspect and the officer were taken to local hospitals. The shooting disrupted President Trump's coronavirus briefing as he was whisked away from the podium by Secret Service agents. Reporters in the James S. Brady uh, pre, uh, press briefing room were also briefly placed in lockdown with the Secret Service surrounding the West Wing. Trump later returned to the briefing and addressed the incident, telling reporters he did not fear for his safety during the dramatic episode. Yeah, it was kind of a little bit quick to fear for your safety, but we've got a great Secret Service that was out there tirelessly defending the President, so... A couple things that went along with that, and there hasn't been a lot that was released about the suspect or his motives or anything else like that because he was pretty much put down as soon as he was coming in, but yeah, this is this is something that I actually anticipated seeing a little bit more of over this presidency and definitely over the last one, people being fed up with the economy or certain other things that the news media told them to be fed up with and just snapping and going nuts with it. So... This happened yesterday, and like I said, there's not a lot of details that go with it, but the fact of the matter is somebody got bold enough in desperation to come and try and take a shot at the president like this is, is something that we need to sit back and watch. And we were discussing the balloon popping story last night from when Reagan was president after he got shot. 
or shot at. I don't remember if it actually hit him or not, or if he was injured or taken to the hospital. But when he got shot at, and afterwards a balloon popped, and he pretty much came out and said just the same, that he wasn't afraid for his safety either. So, yeah, that happened near the White House yesterday, and definitely something to keep an eye on. And we will see if we get any more details today as to who this person was, what happened, if there was a possible motive, a note, or anything else like that, and something else to figure out. All right, but we are going to keep going off of that here. From... For WWL-CBS News out of New Orleans, Louisiana, President Trump narrows down nomination acceptance speech to uh, location. From Tegna of the Associated Press. President Donald Trump said Monday that his acceptance speech for the Republican presidential nomination will be held at either the White House or the Gettysburg Battlefield. We have narrowed the presidential nomination acceptance speech to be delivered on the final night of the convention Thursday to two locations. The Great Battlefield of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and the White House, Washington, D.C., he tweeted. He tweeted that a decision on the location of the August 27th speech will be made soon. Both sites are federal property, raising legal and ethical issues for their use in a political event. The Civil War battlefield in Pennsylvania could also resurface the President's defense of monuments to heroes of the Confederacy. The former Republican National Convention is set for Charlotte, where the RNC is planning to hold 336 delegates, six from every state and territory. Vice President Pence told WCNC in July that Trump was planning to accept the nomination in Charlotte, but those plans quickly faded when the president suggested giving his expect, uh, acceptance speech rather from the White House last week. Using the Rose Garden, the Executive Mansion, or even the Oval Office as the backdrop for his speech next month would mark an unprecedented use of uh, pro public property for uh, partisan political purposes. Critics allege it would violate ethics laws, such as the Hatch Act, which limits political activity by federal workers. The president is exempt from the Hatch Act, however, and a few government staffers have faced penalties under law. Presumptive Democratic nominee Vice President Joe Biden has already said he will not travel to the DNC and said he will accept the Democratic nomination for president in his home state of Delaware, which translates to in his basement. So, yeah. There's a couple things with that, and of course, everybody is triggered at this point. I was just looking a bit over social media before I got started off of this to see the fact that everyone is out there saying, well, he wants to go and accept this at Gettysburg because he's a white supremacist. He just wants to go to something Confederate. No, that's not necessarily the case on anything off of this, but yeah, that's what we're seeing. And I mean, it's a historical landmark, and it's close to the White House. It's well-known, it's well-traveled, people know how to get there. So I don't see what the problem is, but of course, everybody's going to try and do the numerology to try and say that Trump is really a white supremacist. He's dog-whistling to white supremacy. It's just like the fact that nobody knew what the hell Juneteenth was until after the president decided he wanted to give a rally on that day. And now we want to make it a federal holiday. And nobody, I guarantee you, outside of Oklahoma and Texas, nobody knew about what this was up until that point, with the exception of a few. I know that Elaine, my co-host, said that she knew about or what it was and what it was about. But that was all that they knew. A few political wonks knew what it was. 
But the general populace thinks that they've been celebrating it forever now, and it should be a national federal holiday, which, no. So yes, all the numerology, all the tea leaves coming out to say, oh, well, this president, he's just a white supremacist. And I don't really care where he gives the speech. Obviously, he can't give it in the White House because of the Hatch Act. But he could give it, he could go to his hotel in Florida and give it from there. It's all going to be streamed anyway. So that's what we have coming up out of this here. We'll see what he chooses. Uh, another one that was breaking right as we were going live on the uh, podcast last night from the BBC. Beirut explosion. Lebanon's government resigns as public anger mounts. And they don't give me an author for this one here. But... I know, somebody in the live chat at one point said that uh, that means it was written by a robot. I don't know if that's true or not, but somebody pointed that out. Uh, the announcement was made in a national TV address by Prime Minister Hassan Diab on Monday evening. Many people have accused the country's leaders of culpability through their alleged negligence and corruptions. Protesters have taken to the streets and clashed with police for a third straight day. The massive blast caused by the detonation of 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate stored in unsafely at the port for years. President Michael Aoun has asked the government to stay on in a caretaker capacity until a new cabinet is formed. Mr. Diab, who was appointed Prime Minister in January after months of deadlock, said his country had gone to great lengths to lay out a roadmap to save the country, but corruption in Lebanon was bigger than the state itself, and a very thick and thorny wall separates us from change a wall fortified by a class that is resorting to all dirty methods in order to resist and preserve gains, he said. They knew that we pose a threat to them, and the success of this government means real change in this long-ruling class whose corruption has asphyxiated the country, he added. Today we follow the will of the people and their demand to hold accountable these responsible for the disaster that has been hiding for seven years and their desire for real change, Mr. Diab said. The Prime Minister presented himself in the speech as a reforming leader blocked by endemic corruption dating back years. BBC Middle East correspondent Tom Bateman says, Parliament will now have to decide on a new Prime Minister, a process involving some sectarian politics at the root of the protesters' discontent. Our correspondent adds, It is likely to be a smooth or quick process due to the country's complex political system. Power in Lebanon is shared between leaders representing the country's different religious groups. Additionally, following the end of the 1975-1990 Civil War, a number of warlords entered politics and still control large parts of the country's political, economic, and social sectors. Many protesters have blamed this entrenched system for the country's corruption. On Monday, police clashed with angry residents as protests continued in the capital following the government's resignation. Footage showed the protesters gathering near the uh, barriers leading to Parliament, building at security forces, fired tear gas at them. And then it goes on to talk about the blast and everything else that happened out of this. And I really have this feeling that we're never going to know what actually happened with that blast. And I do think that there are some of the, there are some components off of this that say that, yes, this was an attack. This was something out there that uh, something happened. And I don't think it was an accident. I do think that it was, in fact, some sort of attack, at least. I don't know. But I don't think we're ever going to know. If the government's going to step down, there's not going to be anybody out there to try and make sure that this goes completely 
without a hitch. And for the most part, a lot of the evidence that was through this was vaporized. I'm sure that if it was arson or something else that came out of this, then the person that was up close to it got vaporized in the blast as well. I don't know if it was a suicide bomb or if it really was an industrial accident or they were just trying to blow up the fireworks factory. But yeah, there's something bigger than just this blast and everything else going on in Lebanon and Beirut uh, in general. And the fact of the matter is that it looks very, very suspicious that the whole government just stepped down a few days after one of the biggest explosions in history. All right, let's keep going here. Speaking of foreign unrest, intense clashes at Belarus on second day of protests following contested presidential election from Patrick Rival over at ABC News. And this isn't one that's been big in the news, but I wanted to include it off of this because we're looking at something the same in this country right now because we are going to have a very, very contested election cycle. And a lot of people that have been locked in their homes for almost the entirety of 2020 at this point, they've been locked in their homes. They don't know what's going on. They want to talk about this, and we'll see what happens with this. Uh, but we'll read what happens from ABC News. There were intense clashes in Belarus's capital, Minsk, on Monday night as security forces sought to violently disperse thousands of protesters who gathered for the second day in a row to demand the country's authoritarian leader, Alexander Lukashenko, step down from following a contested election. Large crowds of protesters filled several parts of the central Minsk, though as police and heavily armed interior ministry troops indiscriminately attacked them, throwing stun grenades and reportedly firing rubber bullets. Authorities said at least one protester was killed. The protesters appeared to be swelling and demonstrators became increasingly emboldened with police struggling to disperse them. On some streets, video appeared to show demonstrators using garbage dumpsters to build barricades and fire fireworks at the police officers, which is a lot of what we've seen over on our side of the world as well. Over in Portland, we've been seeing a lot of that. People lighting dumpsters on fire, firing fireworks off at police officers, mortars, and all kinds of improvised explosive devices. We're seeing the same thing. Protests happen the same way all around the world. It's absolutely true. And once again, if we see what I think we're going to see and nobody knows who the president is going to be come the end of election day, we're probably going to see at least some of this from either side. I've heard, I know some mega people, some people I work with who have said that there is going to be violence if President Trump doesn't win. And I know that there's going to be violence if he does win. I know that for a fact. I have seen Antifa. They, they were out the first time that he won. I don't think anybody's going to be satisfied with the results of this election, and they're not going to be able to sit back and accept any of this, no matter what it does. And once again, with all the mail-in voting and everything else, we are not going to know come Inauguration Day. We are absolutely not going to know what's happening with this. So... That'll be something to keep an eye on as we go through. And like I say, I wanted to throw this in there because we have the potential of seeing this in our country just the same way they're doing so over in Belarus. So, yeah, we'll pay attention to that one for sure. All right, a little bit on what happened yesterday over in Chicago before the tornado came and wiped everybody out. That was kind of interesting to see. And I don't have anything on the weather from Chicago right now because... That's still developing, and they're still picking through the debris on that. But a tornado, actually, a storm that produced a tornado ripped through here in southern Wisconsin and turned south before it hit the Great Lakes and went down and 
tore up Chicago and the west suburbs as well. So that happened here, and we'll talk probably a little bit more about this tomorrow, but definitely something to watch here. But I don't want to go back onto the uh, uh, protest over there and see what we've got going on here from NBC5 Chicago. Black Lives Matter holds rally supporting individuals arrested in Chicago looting on Monday. Uh, members of Black Lives Matter held a solidarity rally on Monday night with more than 100 individuals who are arrested after a night of looting and unrest in Chicago. The rally was held in the South Loop Police Station where organizers say these individuals were currently being held in custody. I don't care if someone decides to loot a Gucci or a Macy's or a Nike store because that makes sure the person eats, Ariel Atkins, a BLM organizer, said. That makes sure that that person has clothes. Black Lives Matter Chicago organized the rally after overnight unrest throughout the city, with police saying that more than 100 individuals were taken into custody for a variety of offenses, including looting. That is reparations, Atkins said. Anything that they want to take, they can take because the businesses have insurance, which was the same arguments that, uh, the same exact argument that we saw the first time when we were going into Portland, Minneapolis, Chicago the first time, New York, every place else across the country, Baltimore, Atlanta. Well, the businesses have insurance. Well, okay, well, if you burn the business down no matter what, then that person can't go to work. They still have to do the cleanup. The employee that's from your neighborhood can't go to work. So there are a lot of moving parts out of this here, and it's... I want to go down a little bit more into this article and see if they show... Yeah, it appears that we do have a cause from this, which it was only speculated yesterday, but now we actually have something. Chicago police believe the looting began after officers shot a man in the city's Englewood neighborhood on Sunday afternoon. Authorities say the man, identified as 20-year-old Latrell Allen, had a gun and fired at police before they returned fire, striking and wounding him. Allen now faces attempted murder charges after the incident. This person fired shots at our officers, CPD Superintendent David Brown said. Officers returned fire and struck the individual. BLM organizers are criticizing the police narrative surrounding the shooting, pointing out that none of the officers involved in the shooting had body cameras. Police say a lot of things, Atkins said. Investigators confirmed the lack of body cameras Monday, and they're asking the public for help in tracking down the witness video of the incident. Even still, Atkins and other pro uh, organizers say the entire incident points to deep-seated issues that remain within the Chicago Police Department. Or, and hear me out on this one here, this may be the next thing that we have to see to try and keep these uh, riots going up through election years. <sighs> I don't know what's going to happen come November, and once again, going back to what we just talked about with Be uh, Beirut. No matter who wins, nobody's going to be satisfied off of this. They're blocking the interstate in Chicago right now, and this is, and of course, this had to be the incident where the police didn't have body cameras. So it's going to be his word against his word as we go along with this. Of course, it's going to be this. But as we sit back and watch this, as we enjoy this, or get repulsed by this, whichever you want to see, whether you're a collapsitarian, accelerationist, or anything else like that, we're going to see even more of this off of this. And if the guy actually did shoot at police officers, then he's lucky he's alive right now. He's lucky he's able to stand trial and answer for what he did. But this is going to be unfolding, and this may be the next set of protests that we see across the country. This may be the next Chicago fire. We don't know. All right, let's keep going here. 
from the Daily Wire, the St. Louis attorney, McCloskey's are trying to turn these criminal proceedings into political theater. <clears throat> Pot kettle. From Tim Pierce. St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kimberly Gardner accused the McCloskeys, who are defendants in the case that Gardner is prosecuting, of turning the legal proceedings into political theater after they motioned to have her removed from the case. The attorney for Mark and Patricia McCloskey, Joel Swartz, filed a motion on July 29th to have Gardner barred from prosecuting their case after Gardner referenced the case in two campaign emails, one sent before charges were filed and one after. Gardner's response to the McCloskeys was filed under seal, but released the public over the weekend by the St. Louis Circuit Court, according to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Gardner pushed back against Schwartz's assertion that the campaign emails carried the appearance of impropriety that Gardner may have been affected by her uh, personal, political, financial, and professional interests, and that her neutrality, judgment, and ability to administer law in an objective matter may have been compromised. Gardner asserted that the campaign emails were not sent out in an effort to benefit from high-profile case, but responsible to, or in response to Republican attacks against her in the press over her decision to investigate the McCloskeys, and then over her decision to charge them with gun use violations for threatening protesters who had broken into the McCloskeys' private, gated neighborhood. Okay, a couple things that are going along with this, and yes, this is political theater, but the fact that Gardner is even charging these people real theater in and of itself. Gardner ran on a strict gun control uh, agenda and to prosecute gun crimes to the fullest extent of the law. And there is no gun crime here. That is the important part that we need to see as we're going into this. There was no gun crime. Missouri is a stand your ground state. So they have the absolute right and even the responsibility to come out and defend their property and their private gated community. They have the responsibility to do so, whether purchasing private security or doing it themselves, as the McCloskeys did. They have the right and responsibility to do that under Missouri state law. Meanwhile, if this does go through, this changes the way that we look at gun laws throughout the state of Missouri and throughout the rest of the country because if you can't defend your own property, then what is the point of having them? And then we will have a serious conversation about the Second Amendment. And one that's not going to go the way that the left enjoys, I think. So I don't know what's going to come out of this, but this is something that we definitely need to be paying attention to as we come along. So, yeah, she is still trying to push this through. And this is pointless anyway. This is a waste of time and a waste of money for anything else that we're seeing out of this because... The governor has already come out and said he's going to pardon this couple if Kim Gardner actually has a chance, gets it before a judge, and gets it prosecuted and convicted, which I don't think is even possible at this point. I don't think there's a possibility of getting this convicted, but on the off chance that a meteor strike changes the world again, and a gorilla gets shot, and we get whisked off into another uh, timeline, and she actually gets a conviction out of this, the governor's just come out going to come out and say, oh, well, no, we're going to pardon this because you followed stand your ground law. So that's something to keep in mind. And we have not seen the last of Kimberly Gardner and the McCloskeys. Now on to Seattle. Speaking of BLM, Carmen Best, Seattle's top cop, emails resignation notice to officers report from Edmund DeMarsh. 
Carmen Best, the Seattle Police Chief, emailed her resignation notice late Monday, hours after the City Council made good on its promise to approve sweeping proposals that would cut about 100 officers and slash the department's budget. Best's email, which was obtained by Jason Rance, a local radio host, said that her retirement will be effective September 2nd. I wanted you to hear this from me, but some media have reached the conclusion on their own, she wrote. This was a difficult decision for me, but when it's time, it's time. She thanked Mayor Jenny Durkin for her continuous support and said that the Seattle PD is truly the best police department in the country, and please trust me when I say the vast majority of the people in Seattle support you and appreciate you. Durkin and Best had urged the council to slow down its discussions about police budgets, saying the issue could be taken up in earnest when the 2021 city budget is considered. They also said any layoffs would disproportionately target newer officers, often hired from minority communities, and would inevitably lead to lawsuits. Brandy Cruz, a reporter for Q13 Fox, tweeted that there is a press conference set for 11 a.m. Tuesday. She said that two sources told her that the announcement is imminent. The Seattle City Council also cut Best's roughly $285,000 salary. Wow! To be a police chief in Seattle? Man, that's the place that I want to go and be a police chief. That's a lot of money to be a cop. Even the top cop. And the pay of other top police leaders, although the final cuts to best salary were significantly more modest than those approved last week, the council plans to take officers off a team that removes homeless camps. On Monday, only council member Kishama Sawant voted against the budget package, saying it does not do enough to defund the police, so he wants even more off of this. So yeah, they're actually going through and they're defunding and getting rid of police and trying to shrink it down. Meanwhile, they still have all the laws out there and you still have all the unrest in Seattle. But no, go ahead and get rid of your police department. Not, what can go wrong with that? What can absolutely go wrong with this? And Best, Best could probably go around the country at this point and get a job in top brass anywhere else in the country. Because she did good work in spite of everything working against her, the mayor working against her, the city council working against her, and the CHOP working against her. She did very good work in Seattle. I don't know if she could just go out and instantly be a police chief anywhere in the country, but she could definitely go out and be top brass, at least on a high level, a lieutenant, a sergeant, something high level in a police force anywhere else in the country. She could absolutely come and do that. And I hope she does. I hope that you see some of these top people that really care about Seattle move out because there's no hope for them. Let the city council sleep in the bed that they made. Let them lose their top taxpayers. I know that New York is begging people, begging top taxpayers to come out and come back to New York. I'll buy you a drink, de Blasio and Cuomo both say. I'll cook dinner for you. I'll do anything. Just come back and please pay more taxes here. Please pay more taxes here. So this is going to be something to watch as we go along. All right. And Godspeed out to Carmen Best. You did the best you could with a bad situation. All right. From the Daily Wire, new report suggests New York's nursing home deaths far higher than reported. Comes after Cuomo declined to support investigation from Ryan Saavedra. A new report alleges that the ex true extent of the number of deaths in New York's nursing homes suffered under the leadership of Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo may be far higher than what was reported due to the way that the statistics are gathered and counted. 
New York's coronavirus death toll in nursing homes, already among the highest in the nation, could actually be a significant undercount, the Associated Press reported. Unlike every other state with major outbreaks, New York only counts residents who died on nursing home property and not those who were transported to hospitals and died there. The AP gave one example as an illustration of the problem, the Riverdale Nursing Home in the Bronx. According to the AP on paper, the nursing home only reported a total of four deaths from the coronavirus out of its nearly 150-bed facility. However, the true number is 21 dead, most of whom were transported out of the facility and to hospitals before they died. That statistic could also add thousands to the state's official health care home death toll of over 6,600, the AP continued. But so far, the administration of Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo has refused to divulge the number, leading to a speculation the state is manipulating the figures to make it appear it is doing a better than other states to make a tragic situation less dire. How, in God's name, could you ever say that New York did better than any other state? Because those deaths are still counted. New York was the hotspot because of the way that they live and what time of year it was when all of this hit. But Cuomo's trying to stay face right now because he did order the sick people to be put in a nursing home. So yes, they're going to have probably the same number of deaths out of this, but it's going to be the number of nursing home deaths that are going to kill Cuomo's chances to get reelected. Could you see Republican governance over in New York State? Probably not. I think that's just a little bit of a stretch. Could you see him get primary? Likely. So we'll see what happens out of this. But yeah, they're ju- the whole thing, This from the beginning of coronavirus on to now, the whole thing was the numbers are manipulated. That's not the story. That's the name of the damn book. But they're going to keep manipulating numbers. We don't know what the hell happened with any of this. And there could be a lot more people that have the virus. And a lot fewer deaths. Because what was it? I mean, we saw other things off of this. People counting a motorcycle crash as a coronavirus death. A suicide as a coronavirus death. We saw so many of this out of the last time. And now we see suspected cases that are getting counted as cases. And people that are going home because they were waiting too long in line to get a case. And getting a mailer that's saying they were positive. There's so much else that's going on with this. This is so fucky. And I don't believe a word that any news outlet is saying out of any of this. But I can't give it all to the news outlets because I can't believe a word that any of the research is giving to them. Any of the sources are giving to them. So that's what we're seeing up out of New York. And Cuomo, of course, declined to support the investigation or even comment on any of this. So we'll see off of that. Let's keep going here from the New York Post. Fuck that COVID shit. Smash uh, Smash Mouth plays to thousands of bikers at a rally. From Tamar Lapine. And I think this is Sturgis, but I'm not sure. Yes, it is Sturgis. Smash Mouth still exists. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I thought they retired long ago. But apparently they're out still touring. Who knew? All right, let's see what they have to say here. They ain't the sharpest tools in the shed. Thousands of people turned up to a concert headlined by Smash Mouth in South Dakota on Sunday night amid the coronavirus pandemic. The 90s pop rockers and their fans at the annual Sturgis Motorcycle Rally didn't seem worried about gathering together during the viral outbreak that's killed at least 160,000 Americans. We're all here together. Fuck that COVID shit, frontman Steve Harwell said on a state, earning cheers from the crowd. The iconic 10-day festival was expected to attract some 
quarter million motorcycle enthusiasts scaled down from about half a million people who attended the previous years, according to USA Today. Festival goers didn't have to face many of the social distancing restrictions common elsewhere in the country, the newspaper reported. For example, those who traveled from a hot virus hotspot for the event were not required to quarantine unless they went through tribal lands, remember, because we read that one yesterday. And while organizers encouraged the use of masks or face coverings, they were not required. Footage from the festival's Buffalo Chip concert series, where Smash Mouth performed, showed maskless crowds packed together in front of the stage. But the all-star band maintained that it felt safe and took all safety precautions possible ahead of the event. Everything backstage was sanitized, etc. The band has their own COVID addendum to their rider as well. And the promoter and the venue adhered to all the requests, band manager Robert Hayes told Billboard in an email. We spent endless hours advancing this event to make sure that it was pulled off as safely as possible, and we are very happy with the outcome. And you know what? If anybody comes out and gets afraid of the virus so they're out there, well, they can just say that Smash Mouth put on a peaceful protest. Smash Mouth can even come out and say that we put on a Black Lives Matter protest, if they so desire. But that's something to watch as we go up here. Let's keep going. From ABC News. Coronavirus updates, Russia becomes first country to approve COVID vaccine, Putin's daughter given it. From Morgan Windsor, doesn't that just make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside? ABC News is putting out the COVID-19 vaccine. Or I'm sorry, not ABC News, Russia is putting out the COVID-19 vaccine. And you are certainly going to be given the option to take it. But let's see what ABC has to say about this. A pandemic of the novel coronavirus has now killed more than 736,000 people worldwide. Over 20 million people across the globe have been diagnosed with COVID-19, the disease caused by the new respiratory virus, according to data compiled by the Centers for System Science and Engineering at Johns Hopkins University. The actual numbers are believed to be much higher due to testing shortages, many unreported cases, and suspicions that some national governments are hiding or downplaying the scope of their outbreaks. Since the first cases were detected in China in December, the United States has become one of the worst affected country, with more than 5 million diagnosed cases and at least 163,465 deaths. Citation needed, please. Uh, New Zealand returns to lockdown after finding a local transmission. Yeah, they came out and they shot their wad too soon. Are we not going to see the Russia thing? Is this not going to be what we're seeing? All right, let's keep going. Let me scroll down here and see if I can find something off of this. Yeah, yeah, we do have something off of this. I do want to point out what's happening in New Zealand, though, as long as we're on that topic here. So, And New Zealand came out and said, oh, well, we were the first country to eliminate. We've eradicated COVID-19. We have no local transmission anymore. Which a lot of people came out and said, well, this was all political. They're not trying to unseat a president. And they're trying to buff up their numbers and make their numbers look good to try and guilt the rest of the country into going into the draconian lockdown. And, yep, here we know. No, they spoke too soon, and they still have it. Everybody's going to get this at some point, folks. It's that highly transmissible. You probably had it already at this point and don't even know it. So, there's enough asymptomatic cases out there. You've probably had this. Everybody in my live chat's probably had this at some point and just didn't even know it. 
But let's talk about Russia here, since I found that. Where is it? I hate the way they laid this out. All right, at 5.10 a.m., Russia becomes first country to approve COVID-19 vaccine, Putin says. Russian President Vladimir Putin announced Tuesday that his country has become the first in the world to grant regulatory approval to a COVID-19 vaccine. Speaking at a meeting with his cabinet ministers on state television, excuse me, Putin said the vaccine has passed all the needed checks and have even been given to one of his daughters. The vaccine will soon be administered to Russian health workers, he said. The vaccine, developed by state-run Gamaliel Research Institute of Epidemiology and Microbiology in Moscow, was officially registering and declared ready for use after less than two months of human testing, without completing its final Phase three trial. So far, the drug has been tested on fewer than 100 people, and Russia has yet to release any scientific data from those early trials. The U.S. CDC says Phase three trials must involve a minimum of 3,000 volunteers to be recognized. Dozens of COVID-19 vaccine candidates are being developed by teams of researchers around the world, and several are in Phase three human trials, according to the latest data from the World Health Organization. And another one here that I just want to point out, as long as we're here and talking about COVID, at 3.45 a.m., U.S. records under 50,000 new cases for the second day straight. There were 49,544 cases of COVID-19 identified in the United States on Monday, according to the count kept by Johns Hopkins University. It's the second consecutive day that the nation has recorded under 50,000 new cases and additional 525 coronavirus-related deaths. They were also reported. Sunday's caseload is well below the record set July 16th, when more than 77,000 new cases were identified in a 24-hour reporting period. Yeah, this thing is going away in a hurry. Asymptomatic cases are ravaging through the uh, country and the world. People are getting it, not even knowing it, going on with their days, and then they can't get it again. And fewer and fewer people are requiring testing because they actually have symptoms. So, yeah, this is going away. And if this is going away, then we do need to sit back, hold ourselves, because it's going to get scary, and think of what the next election tactic is going to be. Because you know that there's something else coming. You know it. I know it. We all know that there's something else coming. But going back on to Russia, yeah, that's... I don't know about Russia, man. I know that we've joked about uh, the 5G thing and the human tracking thing stuff, and there are actually people in this country that believe it. But coming out of Russia, I actually believe that they could do that and would force vaccination into people by law and not by imprisonment, but execution if they don't get it. Russia's a scary fucking place. Especially when they've got Putin sitting up over the top of it. So, a couple things going on with that there over on COVID land. But, for the most part, this thing is going away. Alright, let's keep going. From Fox News... Ghislaine Maxwell's lawyers describe grim jail conditions in a letter to the judge. Her lawyer says she does not want special treatment from Edmund DeMarsh. The lawyers representing Ghislaine Maxwell, the British socialite charged with recruiting teenage girls for a financier Jeffrey Epstein to sexually abuse, wrote in a motion on the federal judge assigned or Wow, I lost my place on that one. Wrote a motion to the federal judge assigned to the case requesting that she be released into Metropolitan Detention Center's general population so she can meaningfully participate in her own defense. 
The letter obtained by Fox News claims that Maxwell has been treated less favorably than a typical pretrial detainee, which they assume is the result of Jeffrey Epstein's apparent suicide attempt on July 2019. The letter also claims that Maxwell has been subject to suicide watch protocols that include being woken up every few hours during the night and being forced to wear special clothing. The lawyers point out that the client has never been at risk for suicide and has been kept out of the general population for 36 days. So she's in solitary. They're watching her like a hawk. She has to have special clothing. Not because I think that they think that she's going to kill herself, but because, well, Arkansas is a terrible thing. Maxwell's been in custody for over a month and has been held under uniquely onerous conditions, the letter read. She is surveilled 24 hours a day by security cameras that are viewed by both multiple prison guards, and many of whom do not appear to be regular MDC personnel. These prison guards constantly observe Ms. Maxwell and take notes on her every activity, including her phone conversations with her defense counsel, the letter read. That's illegal. They claim the conditions in the jail were infringing on Maxwell's Sixth Amendment right to participate in her own defense. Yeah, that's against the law. The Department of Justice did not immediately respond to After Hours' email from Fox News. Maxwell faces six counts of sex trafficking involving minors between 1994 and 1997. She has pleaded not guilty and the trial has been scheduled to begin in July of 2021. Her attorney called the indictment at the time meritless. A trove of documents released a week ago uh, seems to show she kept in touch with Epstein longer than was previously believed. She claimed to be at a or she claimed at a bail hearing she didn't have she hadn't been in contact with Epstein for more than a decade. So yeah, that's a little bit of a review of what we're coming up off of this. But yeah, no. <sighs> who's got bets on Arkansas? And who's got bets on Arkansas before the election happens? Because there's going to be a lot of implication coming out of here. But we'll see what happens off of this here. Uh, we've got a little bit more on the Maxwell front. And then we've got a couple more after that, and then we will read Twitter trending for the day and see what's happening off of that, because it is Tuesday, and that's what we do on Tuesday. So, documents unsealed in battle between Virginia Jufri and Alan Dershowitz from Ben Buerherd. Get a drink here so I stop tripping over words. New documents have been unsealed in the bitter legal battle between Jeffrey Epstein accuser Virginia Jufri and Harvard Law Professor Alan Dershowitz. The trove relates in part to Dershowitz's effort to subpoena and depose billionaire Les Wexner for evidence in his countersuit of Jufri. The law professor is hoping to show that Jufri tried to extort Wexner, the former head of Victoria's Secret's parent company, who has ties to multimillionaire pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. In a letter to Judge Loretta Prescott requesting that Wexner be deposed and forced to hand over documents relating to his relationship with Epstein and Jufri, Dershowitz's attorney said that it will be key evidence at the trial. The information sought from Wexner goes to the core of uh, Professor Dershowitz's case. His attorney wrote in the July 23rd letter that was unsealed on Monday. Dershowitz is also asking that Wexner's attorney, John Zeger, be deposed and be forced to provide documents related to Wexner's relationship with Epstein accusers. Wexner claims he has no knowledge that he could share in a deposition that backs up Dershowitz's claim. He was extorted by Jufri, the documents show. In a June 19th letter to Dershowitz's attorney, 
A lawyer for Wexner said he could provide no information relevant to the claim. We believe Mr. Wexner has a has no non-privileged information relevant to a claim or defense of, on Mr. Dershowitz's allegations of extortion scheme, the letter states. As for the remaining allegations in the lawsuit, we believe Mr. Wexner's deposition would impose an unreasonable burden on him as his testimony would not be relevant and or proportional to the needs of the lawsuits and, in fact, is at best merely inadmissible extrinsic, wow, that's a weird word, collateral evidence, it says. Lawyers for Jufri wrote in a separate letter that they would like the depositions to proceed because they believe it will prove Dershowitz falsely accused her of the extortion plot. So, yeah, we've got a little bit of battle going on here, and Dershowitz, in all of his wonderful glory, maybe that's the word we need to use, but his definite pure innocent desires, wants to come out and say, oh, yeah, no, no, Wexler did, he didn't, he did nothing wrong. She's just trying to out and extort him. Ellen Dershowitz, how does this guy stay relevant? And why do people keep picking him? I don't know. It's kind of funny that he's in the news for this one again. It's like everywhere that you look in 2020, you see Ellen Dershowitz. For whatever reason, I don't know why, but everywhere you look, you see the guy. All right. Let's see what we have to say with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from Fox News. AOC biscuit to make primetime appearance at Democratic convention. From Paul Steinhauser, another person that has no reason to be in the news all the time, and yet still is. A senior Democratic official confirmed to Fox News that Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez will make a primetime appearance at next week's DNC. The first-term progressive congresswoman from New York will be a part of, or part of a group nominating Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont at the convention next Tuesday night. Ocasio-Cortez was a supporter and a high-profile surrogate for the populist senator during the 2020 presidential primaries as Sanders made his second White House bid. Ocasio-Cortez will also be featured in a video that's scheduled to be aired as a part of Wednesday night's programming. The news was first reported by CNN. The effort to nominate Sanders, who already dropped out of the race, will be a mere formality since Joe Biden has won enough delegates to clinch the party's nomination. So she is getting prime time to go out and make a nomination that actually means absolutely fucking nothing. And this is newsworthy. Plus, she's going to be in my state. Ocasio-Cortez said in April, after Sanders suspended his campaign and endorsed Biden, that she would vote for the former vice president. She co-chaired, along with former Secretary of State John Kerry, the Unity Task Force on Climate Change that was set up in May by Biden and Sanders. Yes, she, is, she has so much in common with John Kerry. The Democratic Convention will be anchored in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but nearly all the speakers will be virtual. It will be held next Monday through April, uh, Thursday, August 17th through the 20th. The convention programming will be held in prime time from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Time and streamed online on a various or variety of different sites and broadcast on TV. Party officials also announced that nearly a thousand crowdsourced videos from the roughly 4,000 Democratic Convention delegates and other Americans will be featured during the four nights of primetime programming. And they spotlighted that over the course of 30 minutes, they reimagined role 
call process will take convention viewers to all 57 states and territories. The formal vote on the former vice president's nomination as Democratic Party standard bearer and the vote on the party's platform will be conducted virtually with delegates from across the country. Biden will speak next Thursday evening, the final night of the convention, with his running mate giving her address the previous evening. That's something that's been talked about for a while because I think they know. I think they absolutely know. Biden will speak next Thursday and his running mate will give her address the previous evening. So I'm pretty sure they know who it's going to be. He doesn't seem to come out and say who it's going to be, but they know. And yes, we are going to see this completely idiotic show coming from AOC. Because I think that Bernie Sanders is, because Joe Biden is mean, and I just want to back the winner, and I want to be the Democratic Socialist, and and everything else that goes along, and climate change is bad, and corporations are mean, and I chased Amazon out of my city because nobody needs a job right now. So that's what we're going to see out of the DNC, and I will be watching closely on that next week as well. I don't know if I'm going to go or not at this point, just because of everything else that I have going on during the week. But I might see if I can carve out some time and go over there. Like I said, it's just right over there for me. But we will see. All right. Last one that I have here comes from the New York Times, which I archived, as you can see, because... You have to pay to read us, and no, I fucking don't. So, from the New York Times, McDonald's sues former CEO, accusing him of lying and fraud. From David Enrich and Rachel Abrams. Eight months has passed since McDonald's fired its chief executive, Steve Easterbrook, for sexting with a subordinate. Mr. Easterbrook had apologized and walked away with tens of millions in compensation, and the fast food chain had moved under or moved on under a new executive. Then, last month, an anonymous tipster made a fresh allegation. Mr. Easterbrook had a sexual relationship with another McDonald's employee while he was running the company. I'm going to say that the anonymous tipster was the first woman. Found out about the second woman and got pissed. That's just my speculation. On Monday, that accusation ignited a rare public war between a major company and its former leader. McDonald's filed a lawsuit against Mr. Eastbrook, accusing him of lying, concealing evidence, and fraud. The lawsuit, filed in a state court in Delaware, alleges that Mr. Eastbrook carried on sexual relationships with three McDonald's employees in the years before his ouster and that he awarded a lucrative batch of shares to one of those employees. McDonald's said it was seeking to recoup stock options and that, uh, other compensation that the company last fall allowed Mr. Easterbrook to keep a package worth more than $40 million, according to Equilar, a compensation consulting firm. A lawyer for Mr. Easterbrook didn't immediately respond to requests for comment on Monday morning. The lawsuit represents an extraordinary departure from the traditional disclose it and move on decorum that American corporations have often embraced when confronted with new allegations of wrongdoing by senior executives. More than a few chief executives in recent years have lost their jobs following allegations of sexual or other misconduct, but for the most part they have departed quietly and the companies haven't aired the ugly details. In the Me Too and Black Lives Matter eras, however, more companies are striving to position themselves as good corporate citizens 
responsible not only to shareholders, but also to customers, employees, and society at large. And Instagram is about to sign off here, so if you're over on Instagram right now, head on over to the YouTube link in my description and read the Twitter trending with me, because that's all that we have left after this article. So take care, Instagram. We will see you next time. Mr. Easterbrook, successor at McDonald's, Chris Kempsinski has called for new corporate emphasis on integrity, inclusion, and supporting local communities. McDonald's does not tolerate uh, behavior from any employee that does not reflect our values, Mr. Kemzinski wrote. In an internal memo reviewed by the New York Times, he added, As we recommit to our values now more than ever is the time to lean in to what we stand for and act as a positive force for change. So, yeah. Pretty much, I'm pretty positive at this point that the first woman that he got caught diddling found out about the second woman and made the report out to uh, the New York Times and various other news outlets here to just try and run this guy back into the ground. He's already lost everything at this point, but now he's going to keep on going. So, that's what we're going to see up off of this here. And the last thing that we always do on Tuesday is we read the Twitter trending and talk about what's happening with that. So let's get the full Twitter trending here. Starting off, and we will skip the Tuesday thoughts and Tuesday motivation. We'll skip all that stuff. And we will see what else is going on here. Top trend today is hashtag Trump evictions with 22,600 tweets. Uh, from the Lincoln Project, of course. Uh, big stock market numbers, Trump tweets out. Reply to Donald Trump's tweet with hashtag Trump evictions. Let's remind him that millions of Americans are suffering while he gloats about uh, his investments. Uh, the Lincoln Project, very soon it's going to be moving day for 25 million Americans. The Trump evictions are coming. He just put a moratorium on evictions, you dumb shit. Trump evictions are another cruelty to the heartless presidency. This was Pelosi that couldn't get anything, was holding the American people hostage. He put a moratorium on evictions through executive order. What the fuck? What in God's green hell are they trying to pull off of this? This is a full-on fucking lie. Oh my God, they are getting desperate off of this. Wow, that's some fucking left-wing trope right there. All right, sorry about that. Let's keep going down off here. Tuesday vibes, Tuesday thoughts on the next one. Russian vaccine is hashtagging, and we just talked about that a little bit ago. <clears throat> Make sure that you follow hhs.gov and not the news, because you need to know what's actually going on with vaccines and not what some independent pundit that's actually doing the research is telling you. Putin's daughter was given the Russian vaccine. Yeah, we know what's happening with the Russian vaccine already, but yes, they are talking about it at this point, and yeah, no way, no fucking way, no how. You are not giving me that vaccine, especially if it came out of Russia. Not gonna fucking happen. I don't even trust the ones that are coming out of this country. All right. Trend number three. Bolton. The mighty mustache is back in the news. 
John Bolton on Trump impeachment, the upcoming election, and U.S. coronavirus response. So I guess he must have just done some interview. Mr. President, you should fire the moron who hired John Bolton. And the oh, are they against John Bolton now? Oh, yeah, he tweeted. That's why. John Bolton, one of the dumbest people I've met in government, and sadly, I met plenty. States often that are respected and even trusted Vladimir Putin of Russia more than those in our intelligence agency. Well, of course, that's not true. Yeah, no. And I do remember when all these people, like Jeff Tiedrich and all the other lefties out there running out there, they hated John Bolton, and now they love him. But they hated him because he was a Bushite fucking warmonger. And now they love him because he hates Trump because Trump isn't a Bushite fucking warmonger. So, yeah. Fuck John Bolton. Nobody gives a fuck about that asshole. Uh, Bindi Irwin is going to be the fourth one that we read here. Uh, apparently, John Irwin, or Steve Irwin's daughter, had something going along here. Ah, apparently she had a baby. Uh, Bindi Irwin announces pregnancy with husband Chandler Powell. So this is a little bit of celebrity stuff here. I know absolutely nothing about them other than the fact that she's the daughter of the crocodile guy, Steve Irwin. So, that's what we see off of this here. And the last one we will read today, Kuzma. I don't know what that means either. Oh, he's a basketball player. Well, I'm, I've never been big on uh, NBA, so that's probably why I don't know about that. Uh, shoot or shoot, Kyle Kuzma. So apparently he made a fairly religious statement out here. I think Jesus could be in front of me, and I would probably still shoot Kyle Kuzma after hitting the game when he shot versus the Nuggets. So it must have been a tie game at some point here, and he made some massive miracle shot that you only see on movies. Yeah, oh look, we got eight seconds of video here. Game-winning buzzer beater at 0.4 seconds. Yep, the kind of thing you only see in the movies. So, that's what we see off of that. That's Kyle Kuzma. Well, congratulations to Kyle Kuzma anyway. That's awesome, even if nobody's really watching or nobody really cares about the NBA anymore at this point. That's still, that's an accomplishment either way. So, congratulations to the dude. All right, and that is going to be it. So we're going to get on out of here. I'm going to get ready, get some breakfast down, and go to work and probably watch some Stephen Ignoramus while I'm doing that here. So head on over there and check out Stephen Ignoramus. It looks like he's live as well. So we will be back here later on tonight and do a little bit more video gaming. We're going to see if we can't catch, uh, close in on that home stretch, uh, Fallout New Vegas, catch all the rest of the locations, and finish out the main quest. I don't think we're going to catch all the rest of the locations, but we'll see if we can pull out some of the rest of the main quest anyway. Or, if you prefer, we will be back here tomorrow with more news because there's going to be more going along already. I can already see with the Trump evictions thing going around. So we'll talk a bit about that in the morning on Contemporary. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. <laughs>